Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Who in this room is going to live forever? The answer is you. It's you. Even if I don't know you, the answer is you. You are going to live forever. Revelation chapter 20, at the end of the Bible, it reveals to us where all of human history, including our own, is heading. And it says this. The Apostle John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. That means everybody. Standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, and it's the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. That's where we're going. That will happen. The first shocking part of this scene is that you see Christ seated on a great white throne to judge all persons of the earth. But it's not just Christ seated that's shocking. It's also, quote, the dead, great, and small standing. Standing. We are not used to the dead standing. But that's what Scripture says. All the dead, everyone, stand. You see that they're alive. They were dead. They are brought back to some sort of life, and they're standing to receive judgment. This is where your life is headed as well. Mine, everyone's. We will all stand. After we're dead, we will stand there before Christ. Job, the sufferer, said it long ago in the scriptures, quote, after my skin has been thus destroyed, dead, yet in my flesh I shall see God and every human throughout all time, from an ancient Babylonian to a medieval peasant to a modern Tibetan, to you yourself can say that in some sense, even if your flesh is destroyed, in your flesh, in your body, standing alive, you will see God in some way. You will stand there for judgment. This is real. This shall happen. And the fact is it will happen for everyone. No one gets a pass. This is why C.S. Lewis, the late Oxford scholar, wrote, There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with. Work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You exist now, and you are going to go on existing forever and ever and ever. You will never stop existing, and more than this, you will never stop consciously existing. It's true for everyone of all time. So that you will go on existing forever is not in question. The only thing that's in question this morning is in what circumstance 
will you go on existing forever? And that's really the most important of all questions. The prophet Daniel, so long ago in the scriptures foretold, predicted, quote, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, that means those who have died, shall awake, standing. And he says, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But notice, it's those who are sleeping, that means they are dead, and they all awake. And some awake to everlasting life, and some awake to what he calls everlasting shame and contempt. But they're all awake. They're all conscious. They're all there. But only one group receives what we call everlasting life or eternal life. The other group, it can be said of them, technically they're alive, but what Paul said of indulgent widows that they are dead even while they live. So you will live after you have died, and there's no question about that. The real question is simply, if this makes sense, will you ever really live? You're going to live, but will you live? Will you experience eternal life? On Easter, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus died and then he lived. He was dead, he lived. Everyone's going to die and live or just go on living in some sense. But Jesus' resurrection is about more than you just consciously existing because everyone does that already and will. Jesus came to give life, to give it abundantly so that you might really, truly, deeply live while you're living forever. So let's see this so you don't have to believe it from me. This is John chapter 17 we're going to look at now. Jesus, just before he's betrayed, he goes to die. Just before then, he's with his disciples and he is offering up a great prayer in John 17 on behalf of all his followers, including us. So let's see this in John 17, beginning in the first verse. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Usually on Easter, we spend our time reminiscing on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, which, is also, which happened and is fully real 2,000 years ago, and on the fact that it's a pattern for all who trust in him because he physically bodily resurrected. We also who believe in him will physically bodily resurrect, and that is a wonderful hope. This morning, I don't want to make little of that in any sense whatsoever, but what I want to do is go one step further than we typically go. Because as I've already pointed out, 
The resurrection of Jesus is not just a way in which he's enabled you to go on existing forever because everyone will go on existing forever. It's not that you are in threat of annihilation, of disappearing out of existence, but Jesus resurrected so you don't have to. Jesus resurrected to give you not just living, but to give you life and what he dubs eternal life. And this is not just a quantity or an amount, a duration of how long you live, because that will be forever already. It is a quality of what your life will be. That is primarily what Easter is about. The physical resurrection is just there as a sort of stage or stage props on which the actual event and the drama is playing out. It is not, life is not, Easter is not primarily about you after you die physically being alive again. That supports something beyond itself. It is a quality of life that Jesus calls eternal life. And thankfully, we don't have to guess about what he means because he literally defines it in our text. Jesus says eternal life is not just going on existing consciously. Eternal life is going on existing consciously in a way that you know God, number one, and that you know Jesus Christ, whom God has sent, number two. So as we look at this text this morning, those will be our headings. First, this is eternal life, knowing God. And secondly, this is eternal life, knowing Jesus. So let's see that here in John 17. If we ask what sort of life has Jesus secured, what did he really accomplish in his death and resurrection, especially in his resurrection here, he just tells you, (laughs) you don't have to guess, look at this, and this is eternal life. What is it? That they know you, first, the only true God. If we can start just as simply as possible on this verse, let's just look at two pieces of the grammar, okay, if we can do that. Notice when you look at this verse that at the very beginning in most your translations, not in every single one, but in most of them, they're capturing the fact that we are transitioning or somehow connected to what came just before. So my translation starts with and, the ESV, or I think the King James might have now, and or now. That shows us that verse 3, when Jesus tells us what eternal life is, It's connected to what came before it. And if you just remember what I just read that came before it, it's two things. One, Jesus is praying in light of his death and resurrection. He says, Father, the time's come. Glorify me, I will glorify you. And what does he mean, glorify me? He means the time's come for me to die, to receive the wrath, your wrath for sinful mankind, to die upon the cross, and God, bring me up from the grave. So he's talking about a resurrection. Glorify me. And more. That's number one. Secondly, what he had talked about here was that God had also given him, Jesus, the authority to give eternal life. Through his death and resurrection, he wins eternal life, if you will. And he says, and you, Father, have given me authority to take that eternal life that I'm accomplishing by resurrecting and to give it. To everyone you've given me, to all my people, I give eternal life. So, we'll return to this in a moment, but just remember that everything we talk about eternal life depends upon 
the glorification of Christ in dying and resurrecting. Okay? So the resurrection's there. We're not neglecting it. And it leads us into, well, what is this eternal life that Christ secured by dying and resurrecting? The stone rolls away on the third day and Jesus emerges from the grave and there in his hand is eternal life. There is the treasure. There is the great goblet that mankind has searched for. Eternal life. But what is it? Here he is giving it. Gives it to you if you want it. But what is it? And that's what verse 3 is about. That's why we start with an and or a now. Okay. What is eternal life? That they know. This is eternal life. What is that? Knowing. Knowing God. That's what Jesus resurrected to give you. Primarily. You yourself can know God. And this is eternal life. It's important that Jesus here in John 17 gives us this definition because you might look at the phrase eternal life and assume, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> That's why Jesus defines it because he's assuming you're going to assume wrong and he's right about that. Eternal life sounds like what we said in the introduction. Just life, we know what that is. We're alive, we're breathing, right? Heart's beating, okay, alive. And eternal just means forever and ever. So our assumption would be Jesus came to give us ongoing existing in a body that works forever and ever. So we expect Jesus to say, and this is eternal life, that they might, after they die, come back alive and go on living in their body, consciously existing forever. <laughs> but do you notice that that's exactly what Jesus does not say in this text? That's what we would think eternal life is. And for many of us, that's all we maybe have hoped eternal life would be. That somehow after I die, I won't just stay dead, but come back. And if it's in a really good place, that's even better. But that's not what Jesus says. This is eternal life. Knowing God. If you were to go out on the street and, let's say, the riverfront, you go to the mall, and you just pick someone at random, and you were just to ask them, what's eternal life? Probably nine out of ten would give you that definition, that it is living forever. Many, probably here in America with our history, would be able to tell you like, well, it's not just living forever, but it's living forever in heaven. So in other words, it's not just existing onwardly, but it's existing in a pleasant environment. The golden streets that you heard about in Sunday school as a kid and the pearly gates and all the diseases eradicated and there you are in this bright, glorious place with all the bad gone. That's eternal life. But notice in our text, Jesus does not say that's eternal life. Don't mistake me, eternal life will include that. But when Jesus is getting at the essence of what eternal life is, he doesn't use our common American description of it. Eternal life is not going to hell, it's going to heaven and being very happy and meeting loved ones that you lost in the past and being reunited with them and things being gold and nice. Includes that, but is not that. If that's been your view of eternal life in the past, just get to heaven. I just got to get to heaven where things are happy then I would guess for you, you probably don't think about it that much. Because, to be honest, it's not 
terribly exciting. Look, I understand that being done with suffering, and especially if we've lost loved ones, being reunited with loved ones, these are very significant things. But as you're living your life, there are louder things in your life. That will all get crowded out. You may not think of a resurrection or of the future eternity except on Easter, today. (laughs) So it's good you're thinking of it today. But if that's the case, it might be that this is because all you think eternal life is, is being in a place kind of like this, but a lot happier, and just being there forever. The common idea that after we die, our spirits will ascend and we'll float on a cloud and we'll play a little harp and we'll do that forever and ever, I don't blame you. That wouldn't be very exciting to me either. If Jesus said, that's eternal life, I'd say, that actually sounds dreadfully boring. But thankfully, that's not what Jesus says. Eternal life is not existing forever. You're going to do that anyways. And eternal life is not even just existing forever in a pretty nice place. This is eternal life. That they know God. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the primary meaning of Good Friday and of Easter. This is why there's a resurrection. So that you can know God. You see that in the text? The life of eternal life is a personal knowing of God. So to Jesus, if you are living right now, there you are, you're living, okay? But if you don't know God in the way he describes it here, then to Jesus, as far as he's concerned, you're not living. You're not alive. You've never been alive. You were born, but you're not alive. This is eternal life. This is real life, knowing God. Notice again, he doesn't say, and this is important, this is eternal life that they know about you, God. And that they know about me. This is eternal life. That they know about you. That you're God. You're the creator. You made all things. We owe our lives to you. This is eternal life. That they know about you. That you're good and righteous and just and powerful. You made all things. And then you sent me, Jesus. And they know about me. That I came to the earth. And I died on a cross 2,000 years ago now. And I rose again three days after. And they trust in me. And they can have forgiveness. This is eternal life. That you know about these things. And some of you who are here, if you don't truly know God... You already know about all that. Even if you didn't, now you do. (laughs) You know about all that, and you're looking at your life saying, this doesn't feel like eternal life. You're probably very dissatisfied with life. and Saying, what am I missing? If knowing about these things is enough, well, what a bummer. (laughs) Because you can know about these things and be quite miserable and quite lost. This is eternal life that they know God. So let me ask you, do you know God? The passage I quoted from Daniel at the start of this message, those who sleep in the dust are going to awaken to everlasting life. Just the chapter before that in Daniel, he speaks of a group within that same group and he calls them, quote, the people who know their God. Are you in that group? Is that you? Do you know your God? Know personally your God? If you don't, you're dead. 
you're dead. You're breathing, you're breathing, okay? Heart's beating, you're breathing, circulatory system's working, okay. But in the most essential and important way, you're dead. You're not alive. If God's been kind to you, you've already sensed that because life feels ugh, dull, gray, unsatisfying because you're dead. You may have thought in the past that, man, especially when you're younger, wide-eyed, looking to the future, and you're thinking, what is life? What's my life? What am I looking for? What's it all about? And you may have at that time thought, it's about getting to college, getting some really good grades, getting a really nice job, getting a pretty nice house in a pretty nice subdivision, marrying a very attractive spouse, have the dog, have a few kids, very obedient, very nice, get the promotion at work, or get the dream job, or have a family that coheres together on into old age and everybody loves each other a lot. This is what my life is about. This is life. Now, if you've been lucky enough, or we might even say unlucky enough, to have all of those hopes fulfilled, at this point you know that's not life. It feels like this is life. This is what it's about. But you reach all that and you realize, wow, Jesus was right. When Jesus talks about eternal life, again, he's not just talking about existing forever. He's talking about a quality of life, a way of life, a way of existing. And you may have thought that full, satisfying life was to be found in something here on earth, a relationship, anything. And you throw yourself upon it. And as soon as you touch it, you know what happens. It's a wisp of air. It dissolves. It breaks. It's destroyed. And you just fall straight through it. And then you're left with disappointments. And as you age, you become a bit jaded because nothing works out. And even if it does, it doesn't satisfy. You need the next thing. And you're saying, what am I missing? Jesus tells you right here in our verse. You thought that was life? It's because you didn't read this verse. Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is life. That they know God. It's like Augustine, some 1,600 years ago, that great Christian thinker said, God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It's by design. If you don't feel satisfied in everything else, it's not accidental. It's by God's very intentional design. Because God intended for life, real life, to be you knowing him. And anything short of that, it's not enough. Reason itself does suggest this to us. I mean, Jesus literally says it, so you don't have to reason if you don't want to. But even reason itself suggests that the most essential things in life would not ultimately end up being something like your house or your car, however nice it may be. Because we know that the most meaningful, rich, satisfying things under the sun here in this earthly plane are essentially relationships. So that young man who is infatuated with first love, he finds the girl, he empties his bank account, there's not much there anyways, to get the ring so he can marry the girl and everything is 
alive. Everything seems vivacious. It's, everything is beautiful. Everything in life has changed from monochrome and grayscale into vibrancy. Why? Because of this relationship. You know, number one, that's not going to last. That's not to be negative. It's just a reality. It doesn't, everything doesn't stay like that. It wasn't meant to by design. But you know, number two, that there's a hint in that, isn't there? There's a suggestion in that, either in the romantic relationship or in your relationship with your family, the meaningful, rich relationships you've had there, or good roommates, or whatever it may be. That's where you find a sense of meaningfulness, even here. It's never enough to satisfy, but it's as close as you get. And why would that be? As a hint, as a suggestion to point you and say, this is really life indeed. It's knowing. It's a relationship. But it's not knowing other people. That's just the shadow you're looking at on the ground. You need to turn your head and look at what's casting the shadow. God, <laughs> this is life. This is eternal life. Knowing God. That's satisfying. And that's what life is about. If the shadows at times feel somewhat satisfying, and they have for all of us, you have a child, you hold the child for the first time, it's that personal relationship there, oh, warms your heart. If the shadows have been satisfying, even just for a time, how much more will eternal life, that quality of life, be satisfying, which is knowing God himself, for whom you and your heart were created? That's life. And if you're missing that, you're missing life. No matter what else you're making, no matter what else you're reaching or achieving, that's life. Now, we said at the beginning of this message, we're going to look at the two parts, knowing God, the only true God. Now we're going to shift into the second part because Jesus also importantly includes, and knowing Jesus Christ, whom you, God, have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. It's also knowing Jesus Christ. Now, how can Jesus say this? If this is the essence of life, you're created for God, and therefore the essence of life is you knowing God. But if Jesus is just a man talking about God, for him to throw himself in there, <laughs> that's a bit of a problem. For me to come to you and say, everyone, knowing God, that's eternal life, and knowing me. Well, that would be very presumptuous of me, wouldn't it? This is because, as Christianity has always affirmed from the earliest centuries after its birth, Jesus is God. It's an amazing thing that God exists. It says here, the only true God. So we're not saying three gods. There is one God. And amazingly, Jesus has no qualm putting himself right there because as we know from the rest of Scripture, Jesus also is God. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not three gods, three persons who together are God in some mysterious manner. But what you can see even in this is that there is a richness to God's own being that should also suggest to you that knowing Him is not a dull, boring, lifeless sort of thing. Look, if you found a human relationship satisfying to you, and that's just one person, and it may have been very satisfying to you, so much so you may have turned away from God for a boyfriend, girlfriend, something else, right? Because you're expecting to find their great joy. Well, if one human person who's merely a shadow of God 
is satisfying to you, how much more a God who is somehow three persons in one being and who is the substance of everything we see in others. That is the first thing we see here. So if you read that word only, this is eternal life, that they know the only true God. And when you read only, you think, ooh, that seems very limiting for my life, very narrowing. Like here's my life with all its very interesting parts and colors, and, but you're saying life is really just about this one being, God. He's the only true God, and there he is. I just can't see. How is that exciting? It just seems a little... Well, it's because you're totally wrong about God. <laughs> Sorry. It's not his problem. That's your problem. It's God is rich even in his being. It's a misunderstanding on our part ever to feel like this wouldn't be true. You see that even in the fact of the Trinity... So Jesus points out himself, it's knowing God and it's knowing Jesus. There's a richness. You're entering into a relationship that has, as the rest of John 17 makes clear, continued from before the beginning of the world. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a perfectly self-satisfied relationship one with the other beyond all your maddest expectations of what a relationship could be, and it went on forever. And you enter into that kind of relationship so this isn't some dull thing you add on for Easter and Christmas to go pay your dues to God by going to church. It's not what this is about. This is about entering into a relationship with God himself for whom you were created, the creator of all things and the only one who fully satisfies being himself, a triune, a rich, meaningful God. So That's one reason we see Jesus mentioned here, not just knowing God, it's knowing Jesus. But I think there's another reason, and maybe this is more to the point. Jesus says, life is really this, knowing God. But he doesn't want you to misunderstand. And so he adds, and you also need to know me, Jesus Christ. Because there is no way for you to know God personally if you don't know Jesus Christ. Jesus said it, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, Father. You don't go to the Father except through Jesus. The pluralistic idea that we're all, every religion, heading up the same mountain, just on different sides, and we'll get to the peak and there's God, whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim or anything else, is utterly false. Jesus contradicts it, and Jesus is correct. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's one way, it's me, and I lead up the mountain to the Father. None other do. Very exclusive but it's the clear, repeated teaching of Jesus, which is why we hold to it. And so if you want to know God, the only true God, it's right for Jesus to add, you have to know him, Jesus, as well. It's the only way. You yourself, if you wonder why, why can't I just know God? Why do I have to know Jesus? Why is he the gatekeeper for me knowing God? Well, it's because when you walked in this room today, in here, if you don't know Christ already, let's say you know about him, okay, but if you don't personally know him, he hasn't transformed your life, there's not a living, breathing relationship there with Christ and God. So you walk in here interested, okay. If that's the case, then what the Bible makes very clear and what Jesus himself makes very clear even in the Gospel of John is that God's wrath abides on you. 
The reason for this is that this only true God is not a pushover. And he doesn't take any sins and sweep them under rugs or ignore any of the injustices happening in this world. And we're grateful for that. If you look politically what happens on other parts of the world, you're grateful that God's not ignoring the wrongs and injustices that are committed. Every single one will be brought to an account. But see, so will yours. And you can't outdo the bad that you've done in the past and sweep it under the rug. You can't bribe the judge by being a good boy now or a good little girl now. It doesn't work that way. So the wrath of God abides on you so long as you are not in Christ. There is no way around that. This is simply true according to Scripture. Listen, Jesus himself says this. I'm not just an angry preacher trying to make you feel bad, I promise. Jesus himself in the Gospel of John earlier had said, whoever does not obey the Son, that means you've trusted in him, he's changed your life, you're in Christ, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, eternal life, but the wrath of God remains on him or on her. Why do you have to know Jesus to know God? Because notice in our text how he describes himself. Jesus Christ, whom you, God, have sent. Why did God send Jesus into the world? There he existed for all eternity in a perfect triune happiness. Why send him into this messed up world? Because the world's messed up. God sends Jesus into the world and he lives a perfect life, therefore he's innocent, and yet his purpose the whole time is to ascend that cross on Calvary, to suffer there, nails in his hands, beaten, flesh rent, and there, three hours of darkness, he's crushed by the Father. God crushes Jesus. That's why he sent him. He said, you go down there, and Jesus willingly goes, goes up on the cross, and God crushes him with his wrath. But it's like 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains, in doing that, what God did is, for any who trust in him, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, we could become right with God. You want to know God? You want eternal life? It's the only way it happens. Your sins have to be dealt with, and they can be dealt with because of the death of Christ. When Jesus finished dying, you may remember that he said, it is finished. What is finished? Paying the penalty of the wrath of God for sin. It's done. You don't have to pay it if you trusted him. He pays it. But what you also have to bear in mind today on Easter is that three days later, when Jesus resurrects from the grave, we realize when a man dies on a cross in ancient Rome, there in Palestine, conquered by Rome, a man dies on a cross and says, it's finished, I've paid the wrath of God, he could just be a lunatic. But when three days later he comes back alive and there he is, that is God's way of saying, yes, it is finished. I accept this payment and I raise him from the dead. And if you trust in Christ, if you know Christ, if you enter into a personal relationship with him, then you know God. Then the boundary that's always been there all your life, keeping you from God, which is your own sin, is removed. It's paid for. It's not under any rug. It's up on a cross and it's paid for completely, but it's not on you. So to know Jesus Christ 
is to know God. This is why John elsewhere can say, whoever confesses the Son, confess the Son, you believe in Him, you confess, has the Father also. You've got one, you have the other one. You cannot say to yourself, wow, I really do want this quality of life, eternal life. I'm dissatisfied with everything else I'm finding in my life. So God, here I come. I'm going to try to be good, and I want to know you. It doesn't work like that. Here's the doorway. It's Jesus Christ. That's why eternal life also involves knowing Jesus Christ, whom God sent. You come to Jesus for your cleansing. And he opens the doorway. He rips the veil in half and you enter the Holy of Holies and you can know God. But it has to be through Jesus Christ. Do you yourself know God through Jesus Christ? <laughs> Maybe here in America that sounds like a basic question and you've heard it all the time and all the televangelists and it's on all the tracks everywhere. But listen, do you understand that that is the essential question in life? That is the one question you don't want to get wrong. Like, that's it. That's why you're here. That's your purpose. You've been living every week of your life, perhaps, thinking your purpose was promotions at work, advancing in your career, or accomplishing something in your education. Well, that's, those are purposes, small p. But the purpose of your life is to know God through Jesus Christ. This is life. This is eternal life. And so I'm putting the question to you. Do you know Him? I'm not asking if other people say that, of course you know him. I'm not asking that. They could be wrong. I'm asking you yourself. Have you thrown the weight of your confidence, your hope, and your trust on Jesus Christ alone? So that he receives you in, and you know him, and thus you know God. You understand that if we understand the resurrection and eternal life this way, it has a future component. There is a resurrection to come. Diseases, praise God, are going to be gone. Suffering will be gone. Jesus will take his thumb and wipe your tears away. This is coming. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. But again, it's just a platform for something else. If we understand eternal life like that, a nice situation being resurrected in a nice world, that's a good situation in which to know God. And if we understand eternal life to be at essence, not the golden road, but Jesus, who walks the golden road, knowing God, then you understand eternal life can start right now. And I mean like literally right now for you. You can walk in without it and walk out of here with it. Eternal life is when you place your faith in Christ. You turn from yourself and your sin and you turn to Christ. And eternal life starts right then. Because it's at that moment that you know Christ. And it's at that moment that you know God, the only true God. It starts then. There are still future fulfillment, wonderful promises. It's not all the way done yet, okay? But it starts right here. You can have that quality of life now. You can have eternal life this moment. There's not really any reason for you not to have it except your own sin. <laughs> it's the only one. But you give that up. You trust in Christ. You can have it. The start of heaven here. Do you want that kind of life? Do you want to know God? It may be that previously eternal life to you was just the idea of a nice heaven, a nice reunion with people you miss, some good blessings, your lower back not hurting, whatever. 
And that may have been the extent of your thoughts about eternal life. That's why you don't think of it much, because that's a little bit boring. But if instead you think that's just the environment, that's just like the base level that allows us to know God. It's the heart that throbs, that beats after God himself. That is the true human heart. That's what the human heart was made to be. And heaven forbid, because this can never be true, but just to drive home the point perhaps, if we had to suffer the environment of hell, everything Jesus described of fire and brimstone, unpleasant images, but if we had to suffer that for eternity in order to know God, or alternatively we could be alienated from God and not know Him, but we could have the golden roads and peace and joy of heaven, I would choose hell. It is not the environment that's the primary thing. It's just the stage. This is life. Knowing God through Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of perks that get thrown in, like a physical resurrection and heaven and joy and everything a good father delights to give to his children. But I want you to know that's not the focus. That's not the main point. The main point is do you want to know God? That is eternal life. Jesus has come out of the tomb. He's got eternal life there in his hand. He brought it with him. And he's reaching it out to you today. You can have it. You can have it. Do you want it? Do you want it? We're not talking about, do you want to live forever and have golden roads and stuff? Everybody wants that. Do you want to know God? And you can, it's right there. Do you want that? Then you take that. You can't have that and live your life for yourself, yourself on the throne, fully invested in sin. So yes, you have to drop that to take that. That's called repentance. You drop that, you take that. But that's garbage. Please tell me you know that by now. And this is life. This is joy. This is the richest moment you've had on earth, the most satisfying experience you have ever had, multiplied many times more than you can count, and that's just the beginning of an inkling of the fringe of a side of an angle of what you're getting in when, when you know God. And then that begins now, and you see it more fully into eternity. It was the old saints even when other theology was not so good in the past. But it was the old saints who better than us appreciated what was called the beatific vision. Literally, the happy-making vision. The vision that makes you happy. This was the center of their hope. What is the vision that makes you happy? You shall see God as He is. That is the heart of heaven. That is the heart of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that, and nothing less than that, is eternal life. Let's pray. Only true God, now to you we pray and we simply thank you. We simply thank you that we could ever say these things, that you freely of your grace and kindness out of the overflow of your own fullness and goodness and benevolence and richness, Lord, you have overflowed and we've been splashed standing as we are by the sides. Your goodness has reached even to us and you have offered to us for free the essence of life itself. 
You have promised to all who follow you many tribulations. You have not promised easy money, full bank accounts, always full stomachs. You have not promised the removal of all trials and difficulties. And you have not promised the end of suffering for those who trust in your son. But it really doesn't matter. We don't care. We don't care. What you have promised is what we want. To know you now and forever. So I want to plead for your people who are here who do know you, Lord. We do not always recognize what a richness we have in the knowledge of you. And sometimes we are looking in other places to satisfy ourselves when there is a full multi-course meal laid before us. And I pray you'd help us by faith today on this great Easter to remember and meditate on and take to heart the riches we have in just knowing you. I do want to pray for those who are here who do not know you. And I, nothing I say can be convincing ultimately in the end. I recognize that. But I want to pray that you by your powerful spirit would shatter any defenses and force them, give them the best of all gifts. Lord, I pray you would make them to be happy, even if they don't want to. Lord, that you change their will to receive with joy what perhaps before they saw as just a threat. It is only a threat to the things that ruin us. Please, Lord, help them to let go of sin and to open their heart to you to receive this wonderful life of knowing you. I pray that you would plunder the devil's goods and take them for yourself to be your own children and that they might prove by experience what they've heard this morning, that this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent.